you know, I thought I'd start by asking you a question. Is there a lot of stuff changing in your life right now? I feel like, you know, it's so funny, even when I look around this room, even if we just wanted to start with talking about hair. I mean, there are people who had long hair just a few weeks ago that have dyed very short hair. There are people this morning who have rows in their hair that didn't used to have rows in their hair. There are people with red hair that didn't used to have red hair. There are people with curly hair that didn't used to have curly hair. The last time I saw both of them, they did not have curly hair. We have people with long hair that used to have short hair. I mean, just the hair. I don't even know what's going on with your hair, but it's pretty extraordinary. And I would suspect there have been changes in your hair since the last time I saw you. If we just talk about the hair, and there's a bandana in your hair. I've never seen a bandana in your hair before. If we just talk about the hair, that's enough change. But what about all the other change? Like, that's just hair. There's all this real change going on. We got like two people in this room that are moving. That like a few weeks ago, they weren't expecting to be moving, but they're moving. Like, that's pretty crazy. And I would suspect that if we went around the room and talked about change, you could go on like a 30-minute rant about all the things that have changed in your life this year that you did not choose. I think it's probably good just for a second to emotionally and mentally sort of acknowledge that and just to say, man, that's hard and that's heavy and that's a lot, but it's okay. It's okay. And God is with us in that. In fact, I, I want to talk today about how much God is in it with us, even when sometimes it feels like we've been deserted and left alone in all of that. We have not been deserted and left alone at all. Before I get into that, though, I want to specifically mention the men's event that is happening in just six days, right? Six days, Jordan? Six days. I'm bad at math. Jordan's a little better at math than me. It's happening in six days. It's happening in person here. Plus, it's happening virtually online. I'm really excited about it. I didn't know we were going to play that video here live this morning, but I, I like that video because it's me. So that, that was fun that we got to watch that again. But you are invited if you're a man. I guess you're not invited if you're not a man. I can't say that that openly like, hey, you're in Okay, so you get it. But we'd love to have as many people as we can. And in fact, when Jordan and I were talking about the attendance the other day, we got a lot of people that have signed up that Jordan was like, I don't even know who these people are. So it's pretty exciting. We're going to have a lot of people we don't know online and in person. It's going to be fun. Hope you'll be part of it. I want to talk about two stories from the Bible this morning. Uh, two stories that are very well-known stories. In fact, one of the stories is perhaps the most famous, well-known story that Jesus told. Author Mark Twain said it was the greatest story ever written. That's what Mark Twain said this morning. In fact, this story is so famous and well-known that it has taken over a word. There is a word that we use to describe this story. We don't use that word to describe anything else, any other story. It's the story of the prodigal son. Now, I know you're just waiting to say to me, Brett, Brett, I used that word prodigal yesterday. But you didn't. 
That would be a lie. You did not use that word yesterday. You've never used that word except with this story. In fact, this story has become so connected with that word that it has actually changed the literal dictionary definition of the word. Because the old-fashioned version of the word prodigal meant lost, meant broken, meant wandering away, abandoning principles, abandoning faith. That's what the word prodigal meant. But this story has become so synonymous with the word that now the dictionary says that prodigal is about losing your way and coming home. That's not what it meant. Originally, that's not why they called it the prodigal son. But that word has now become so intertwined and interlocked with this story, they actually changed the definition of the word. That's crazy. I want to read this story to you. It's in Luke chapter 15. Now, I'm going to read it from the message, which is sort of a paraphrase, but it works very well for these stories, particularly these stories of Jesus. So let's read. I'm going to start in verse 11. Then Jesus said, there was once a man who had two sons. The younger said to his father, father, I want right now what's coming to me. He was demanding his inheritance. Before the father was even dead, usually you don't get the inheritance till the father or mother is dead. He said, give it to me right now. I want it immediately. So the father divided the property between them, the two sons. It wasn't long before the younger son packed his bags and left for a distant country. There, undisciplined and dissipated, he wasted everything he had. After he had gone through all his money, there was a bad famine all through that country, and he began to feel it. He signed on with a citizen there who assigned him to his fields to slop the pigs. He was so hungry, he would have eaten the corn cobs in the pig slop, but no one would give him any. That brought him to his senses. He said, all those farmhands working for my father sit down to three meals a day, and here I am starving to death. I'm going back to my father. I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against God. I've sinned before you. I don't deserve to be called your son. Take me on as a hired hand. He got right up and went home to his father. When he was still a long way off, his father saw him. His heart pounding, he ran out, embraced him, and kissed him. The son started his speech. Father, I've sinned against God. I've sinned before you. I don't deserve to be called your son ever again. But the father wasn't listening. He was calling to the servants, quick, bring a clean set of clothes and dress him. Put the family ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then get a prize-winning heifer and roast it. We're going to feast. We're going to have a wonderful time. My son is here, given up for dead and now alive, given up for lost and now found. And they began to have a wonderful time. Now this story goes on to talk about a jealous older brother who was not so happy about all this, who felt frustrated because he was like, hey, I've done what's right all along. Why don't you celebrate me for that? Why are you celebrating this moron that blew everything? 
There are so many great applications in this lesson. I mean, if I imagine myself as that prodigal son, there are so many times, whether in big ways or small ways, that I have felt like, look, I blew it all. I was selfish. I was self-centered. I was foolish. And in the process of that, I tore down beautiful things in my life, and I do not deserve to have those beautiful things back in my life. And yet, what this says about God is that we're welcomed back, even when we do foolish things. And, and this is the way great friends and good parents and great communities work, to welcome us back. There's an encouragement there to own up to our problems, to take stock of ourselves and be self-aware of the things that we do wrong that are foolish and to realize when we need to turn around, make a 180, and return home. And there's a nobility in this father character, isn't there? I, I don't think it's very much of a stretch for us to understand that this father character is God. He's God. He is our heavenly father. And he gives us the free will to do what we want to do, to choose if we want to squander our talents and abilities and our time and our energy. But then he always welcomes us back home. In fact, he's looking down the road. And if he sees any indication that we're willing to change, he'll, he'll run down the road and meet us with tears in his eyes and accept our apology and offer that forgiveness. There's so many beautiful things in this story. But it's interesting to me as I have thought about this story over the years, an element to this heroic father that maybe I have misunderstood a little bit. Maybe I have applied differently than I should have. And that maybe some Christians and some churches aren't applying as accurately or compassionately or as effectively or as rightly as they should. Because it's easy without any context to take this story and say, well, this father is God, and we should have a godly spirit in our lives and in our churches, so we should act just like this father. So what does the father do? Well, the father knows the son is wrong, and he is right, right? He knows he's right. He knows the son's a fool. So he lets the son go, and you could interpret this story without any context and say, well, what does he do? He sits at home and says, well, I'm right. He's wrong. Maybe one day he'll figure out how stupid he is, and he'll turn around and come back. And if he does that, if he's willing to come back and humbly ask my forgiveness, I'll be glad to forgive him. I'll be glad when he figures himself out. When he learns the error of his ways, then I'll support him. But until then, I'll sit safe at my house with my family, with my community, comfortably huddled together in our righteousness, doing what's right. And we'll welcome him when he figures himself out, when he's got it together. Then open arms. But until then... We sit. We sit. I have wondered if unconsciously I'm sort of doing that. 
And this is not isolated because there's other places in the Bible that essentially say, you reap what you sow. You get what you deserve. And if you have locked yourself in a box and you're suffering there, that's probably because you deserve to be locked in a box. Because kind of what we get is what we deserve. We own that. That's not crazy to interpret it on some level that way. But to do that is to miss the larger context of the story of what's really going on in the Bible. And even the greater story that Jesus' ministry and his life is telling about what godly spirit in us looks like. Because the reality is this story of the prodigal son is the third in a series. In fact, we don't even have to leave chapter 15 of Luke because this is the third story about lost things in Luke chapter 15. This story of the lost son, right before it, there's a story about a lost coin. And right before that, there's a story about a lost sheep. Let's read that story. The story that came before the prodigal son so that we can put the story of the prodigal son in better context and even understand this father a little better. So let's read Luke chapter 15 beginning in verse 1. Because this is how it begins. By this time, a lot of men and women of questionable reputation were hanging around Jesus, listening intently. The Pharisees and religious scholars were not pleased. Not at all pleased. They growled. He takes in sinners and eats meals with them, treating them like old friends. Their grumbling triggered this story. Suppose one of you had a hundred sheep and lost one. Now pay attention here. He asks them a question. The question is, wouldn't you leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the lost one until you found it? When found, you can be sure you would put it across your shoulders, rejoicing. And when you got home, call in your friends and neighbors saying, celebrate with me. I found my lost sheep. Count on it. There's more joy in heaven over one sinner's rescued life than over 99 good people in no need of rescue. How does that change the context a little bit here? Because in this story, it makes sense for the sake of the story for the father of the prodigal son to stay home. The story doesn't make sense if he doesn't. But that's not all Jesus had to say about the spirit of God. Because God is not just a God that sits at home in his righteousness waiting for you to figure yourself out so that he can forgive you. No, no. He is a God that risks. He is a God that pursues. He is a God that leaves behind the comfort and safety and control of the 99 
of his home, of his safe community, and goes out into the dark wilderness to find just one. Just one. That is not a pragmatic approach. That is not utilitarian in approach. That is not approach that compromises because it says 99 is good enough. We're pretty safe and comfortable here, right? And if that moron sheep wants to run off and do his own thing, serves him right. If he wanders back, I won't beat him. But he's on his own to figure that out. No. No. God is a shepherd that pursues lost sheep. And he is a father chases down lost children. I believe at this moment, whatever is broken and hurting and lost in your life, he is actively pursuing it. Now, you may not see it. You may not feel it. You may feel like you're sitting in the pig pen begging for corn cobs that you can gnaw on and wishing someone would give it to you and wondering why no one has. That may be the way you're feeling about life right now. That's not the truth of God's pursuit. He is actually, at this very moment, walking through the wilderness of your life, shouting your name. Shouting your name. Actively searching for your heart, for your spirit, to call you back to safety and love. That is the compassion of our God. And the beautiful news is that he's not just doing it for you. He's doing it for every son and daughter of his that has ever been born. And that is alive right now. In fact, you can know for certain that the person you meet, run into casually at the supermarket, at a restaurant, that you pass by on a walk, you may not even be able to see their face because it's covered with a mask so you don't know what they look like. You couldn't have picked them out of a lineup. Five minutes later. But you can know with certainty, even though you don't know what their name is, that God knows their name. And as you pass them, he was shouting it. Could you hear him? Could you hear him shouting their name? As he is shouting your name. As he actively seeks out your heart today at this very moment. Now, if that is the spirit of God, not a spirit that passively sits and waits, then what kind of people should we be? What kind of church should this be? What kind of community is he longing for us to pursue together? A community that searches out a community that says, we believe God is calling your name, we're calling it too. We're calling it too. With love and compassion, with intention and forgiveness, with grace and gratitude, we are saying to everyone we meet, you are loved. 
care about you. I see you. There is a place for you. There is a home for you. Come home. Come home. How do we do that? Well, you know, we, so many of us in, in this room, and I know you online, we have hearts for particularly people who on a physical level are hurting and lost and broken in that way. And there are many ministries going on within this group that do beautiful work in that way. To help young people who are struggling, to help foster parents and foster children who need support and affirmation, to help so many ways young people, people in this community, people even in this neighborhood that need our support and assistance. That is beautiful. And with intention, I pray that we will keep doing it. But there's even another level of that. A level that is sitting in front of our faces every moment. Of those who are hurting. Of those who are alone. There are so many titles you could dub for 2020. Like, this is the year of blank. You put your word there. There's lots of words that we could put in. It's a year of chaos. It's a year of loss of control. In some ways, we all sort of feel like that, that sheep wandering through the darkness. Bah, like, where are we? What are we doing? When is somebody going to come find us? Like, it would be very easy for us to define this entire year that way. But I think it's also been a year of loneliness for a lot of people. A year of disconnection, a year of loss of community, and a loss of intimacy, and a loss of personal, human, community connectedness. I don't know all the solutions for that. I don't think any of us are wizards that are looking at this year and saying, well, if we just did this, if we just done this instead, this would have fixed all of that. I, I don't think that's true. I think this is a year where we have to acknowledge all those difficulties. But I think this is a moment where we as individuals and as a church need to, whatever, with whatever wisdom, with whatever compassion, whatever talents and skills God has given us to stand up and in our loudest voices speak the names of the people that we know and call them home. To say, I know you're alone, but I know this place. I know this place. Come on. Come on. My, my dad was a pastor and an evangelist for many years. And he said that evangelism, not, not a word we use very often these days, but he talked about evangelism. And he said evangelism is nothing more than one beggar telling another beggar where they found something to eat. I like that description so much. It's more than just about doctrines or information. 
It's more than a transactional experience. It's about connection. Good news, the gospel, is about connection. It's about engagement with each other, not just in a single moment, but in friendship, in compassion, in kindness, and in community. Saying, I know a place where there's food, and where there's drink, and where there's love, and where there's affirmation and acceptance. Come on. Come home. And I believe the movement that I am seeing right now in this church and in the other groups that we're partnered with, in the individuals and the leaders here, is a full acknowledgement that that is true and us saying together with one voice. Because aren't we louder as many voices crying the name of Jesus together than we would be alone? But us very intentionally creating spaces that are meant to be home. Home. These announcements that we have made today, I don't want you to just hear them as items on the calendar. They are not calendar items. They are the voice of Jesus crying the name of every person that will hear that voice. This is not a women's Bible study going on on Zoom every Monday night at 8 p.m. This is not a general men's event happening this Saturday for four hours in this warehouse or virtually. This is a cry out not just to this community, but to anyone in the world. Anyone. Anyone to say, I know a place where there's food and there's water, come home. Come home. If you know someone that is lost and lonely, maybe you don't know that for sure. Maybe you just suspect it. Because the hearts and minds and spirits of this, this room and this group are so finely attuned to that. All of these items on the calendar, even the teen youth talent show, as silly and as fun as maybe that seems on the surface, they are all opportunities to say to someone else, I know a place, come with me, don't be alone anymore. That's the spirit of God. If you have been taking the story of the prodigal son a little too literally, and you're feeling like, well, my job is just to know the truth, believe the truth, make sure my family knows the truth and is living in the truth, Make sure we're checking off on the calendar all the items that we're supposed to be part of. I mean, that's good. I hope you'll keep doing that. But if for you that has been enough, that's been the end, let it not be. This morning in your heart and in your mind, say, I'm going to leave the comfort of my world I'm going to go into the dangerous, risky places, and I'm going to make an invitation. I'm going to invite someone that I know, that I know is hurting, into a space that I believe is for them and for their heart. And even if I cry out their name and they don't respond, that's okay. That's all right. It is that shepherd's heart 
that is the heart of Jesus and the heart of God and the heart of our work here together that we will continue to proclaim. What does a new world, a new earth look like? We've talked about that for these past several weeks and it was so eloquently and articulately shared by our pastors. Now it is our responsibility to take those learnings, take that wisdom, take that heart of generosity and love, shout it, shout it, to seek the lost, to invite them to come home, to come home. And if today you are feeling lost, you are feeling lonely, let this message, let this moment, let this time be your invitation to hear me with my voice say to you, come home. Come home. We would love to help you find a place for you and for your heart today. I want to ask God right now to give us more opportunities, to give us more insight and wisdom and more courage and confidence and boldness in his spirit to make those invitations and to call out in the name of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We are grateful that you have spoken our names and that you continue to speak our names each day. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for calling out to us even when we lose ourselves, even when we can't remember our names. You remember. You know us. You know our hearts. And you never give up on the pursuit of us. We are grateful for that. Help us to go into the world with that same spirit of compassion and love, of gentleness, and of invitation. Even when it makes us uncomfortable to invite people into your kingdom. To know you better and to see your heart shine through us. We love you. We are grateful today. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.